The following is a conversation with Yaron Ben. Yaron Ben is a native Israeli and served in the Israeli Special Forces. He has also built and scaled multiple seven-figure e-commerce businesses and is the host of the Ecom X Factor podcast, where he interviews industry experts on all things marketing, CRO, and e-commerce. Tune in to hear more about his story. Yaron, my man. All good. How are you, Daniel? I'm good, and thanks for taking the time to go on the show. I always love talking to a fellow Israeli. You know, got a lot of uh, awesome things to discuss. But before we get into that, you know, we all have a background story. I uh, would love to know a bit about yours. Awesome. Sure. Thank, thank you for having me, obviously, and I'm very excited to speak with you as well. So whenever I, I am a guest on podcast, I always kind of not sure where to start my story. So it's all good. We already, dis- <laughs> we already discussed the fact that uh, I'm from Israel, and you can probably also recognize this based on my accent. So I served in the Israeli Special Forces, and I think that during my time in the Special Forces, I realized that I don't want to have a boss or a commander above me. Because okay. it's not, I don't have anything against my commanders, but I didn't like uh, getting instructed by them. So I, after I, I spent uh, the time in, in the Special Forces, I, I went and started a degree and I started a corporate job and I didn't like it. And I didn't know how I would be able to like go the entrepreneur route, but I seek the alternatives. And luckily I met a friend of mine in a bar in Tel Aviv. And he was a childhood friend of mine. And he showed me a screenshot from his Shopify store. And basically he told me that he was making money dropshipping. And until that point in time, I thought that dropshipping was just like BS that gurus are selling in order to sell courses. Mm-hmm. But it was a childhood friend of mine. So it was like, okay, let's test it out. The morning after, my wife and I, we built a store. It was a shitty store, <laughs> a weak store. And in the same evening, uh, like dinner, everybody sitting around the table. We were Jewish, so it was Friday. And between like yeah. the, the main course and the dinner, I checked my phone and I saw we got our first sale. And then I wow. said, oh, shit, I can make money online. <laughs> <laughs> so my wife and I, we started developing the store. We were doing this like doing, we both had our nine to fives. And I was already spending approximately one million dollars on a monthly basis in my agency i mean as an employee so i had i was stupid enough to to start scaling my e-commerce business because i had like this confidence mm-hmm. so i started pouring money on facebook ads and after a while we were already making more money from the dropshipping business than both our salaries combined but it was very volatile so we didn't want to quit so we kept on going for like two years and then we both quit our jobs and we actually left Israel five years ago and we left to Thailand. And since then we've been doing like digital nomad thing, like the digital nomad thing. No bad. And yeah, and a few years ago we stopped the e-com business. We wanted to move away from the dropshipping game. And since then I've been mainly providing services, media bank services and automation services, uh, like marketing stuff. I know uh, it's funny that you mentioned a lot of uh, the best stories, a lot of the best companies maybe started in a bar in Tel Aviv. So I'm sure <laughs> same, same story on your end, but uh, really awesome to hear. I know you said earlier that you know, one of the things you did or one of the biggest things you learned when being in the army was that, you know, you knew you didn't want to, not that you had issues with your commander, but you didn't want to kind of work for someone your whole life. Um, so for a lot of people that don't know, so me and you are familiar with this because we're both uh Kind of native Israelis, you more so than I am, but um, most people who grow up in Israel have to serve in the army. So is there anything else that you learned kind of during your time in the army that you think helped shape who you were? 
Yeah, for sure. A ton of things. Um, I think this, the thing that most like stands out the most is the fact that when you're in the army, the army wants to get the most out of you because they have like three years or in my case, it was four years because I was in special forces and they need to train you as fast as possible because they want you to produce outcome. In my case, I was in the special forces and I was in a search and rescue unit. So they wanted me to start going and rescuing people, uh, combatants, pilots, stuff like this. So in order to do so, they train you with a lot of volume, shove down your throat. <laughs> so let's say you want to learn how to shoot. So in the army, you just go to like 12 hours to the shooting range and you shoot all day long. They wanted to teach us how to dive. So they sent us diving for four times every day for four months straight. And eventually, I mean, it's not eventually, we learned how to draw, to dive and master diving very fast. So I think the principle of, of putting in a lot of volume, like a ton of volume, very in, in a, a very intense way is a principle that can be relevant in many other aspects. If you want to start a business, just do a lot of repetitions. If you want to go to the gym, try to do a lot of repetitions as well. Obviously, you have to make sure that you don't break. But as long as you don't break and you can put in way, way more repetitions than you imagine you should, you're probably on the right route in order to like achieve some sort of, a, I wouldn't say mastery, but a high level. Like improvement, for example. You know, mm -hmm. the Israeli army does a great way and, you know, probably all the commanders do a great way of like pushing you, pushing you, pushing you right before you're about to break. Being like, okay, no, now it's okay. <laughs> and then you keep doing the same thing. <laughs> exactly. You have to have to do what you have to do, but it's really awesome to hear that. Um, so, you know, I know right now you're saying you and your wife, your guys are kind of nomads traveling the world and working remotely. Um, but, you know, how is life like living in Israel even after the army? You know, did you always know you wanted to leave or do you plan on going back? Um, um, I I never say never. Uh, after the army, uh, I went like every, uh, almost 90% of the Israelis, they go traveling. So I went traveling and then uh, I worked as a bodyguard in Northern Mexico. This is also something very common within like uh, people who served in the special forces. They, they find these gigs that pay them a lot of money and they risk themselves. Uh, and I think this gave me like the understanding that Israel is awesome, but I also love the experience of, of traveling and seeing new things and experiencing other stuff that I never experienced, experienced before. So this is kind of where the, the bug of traveling beat me during mm -hmm. like the traveling after the army. And since then I've traveled all over. And in the last five years, we've been nomads. Um, I'm not sure if I'll go back and when I go back, but I do believe that traveling has a lot of benefits that people don't even realize when they just do like short-term travels. So mm -hmm. I guess this is something that shaped me and I believe it's very, it has a lot of potential for other people, probably listeners as well. Got it. That's a fair point. Uh, why do you think, you know, because I know commonly a lot of Israelis travel after the army. It's just a thing that they do. Um, but, you know, I never really knew the why behind it. I mean, I always know people want to travel the world, but is there a reason that, Kind of after the army, there's this tradition of Israelis just choosing to travel and see a lot of places. Thailand among, among them seems like a popular destination. Mm -hmm. it, 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 there are many things that need to be taken into account. I'm not sure exactly what or like what exactly to attribute this to. But first of all, it's, it's like very common. So everybody does this. So you might as well do it as well. Mm -hmm. 
So this is one thing. And the other thing, I believe that after people serve in the army and they have so many constraints and they have these commanders and they have all this pressure uh, laid on their shoulders. So they want to do like something very radical to the other side, which is going traveling, sensing the sense of freedom. You can do whatever you want. You don't have your parents. You don't have your commanders. You just do whatever the F you want. And I think this is what travel you know that's the point of traveling in a way got it i think that's a fair point because i I knew it was coming i didn't know exactly why but now that you mentioned you know they have commanders we're still working in the Mm -hmm. army you know it's probably the toughest if not one of the hardest jobs in the world that you can have so afterward you probably just want to kind of do your thing and chillax (laughs) exactly totally so um you know back to some of the stuff you were saying earlier i know you said your childhood friend showed you you know their e-commerce store and before that, you thought it was kind of BS from like all these gurus, but then you kind of butt into it a little bit. Kind of before you were doing e-commerce, what's some of like the stuff that you were up to or some of the work that you were doing? Yeah, so initially I studied industrial engineering. Uh, it had nothing to do like with e-com. And then I started working in a media buying agency in Tel Aviv. So just mm-hmm. spending a lot of money on Facebook ads uh, for social gaming and also for e-com. But I didn't have like any prior experience with regards to specifically e-commerce. Mm-hmm. So I just went head first, um, did a shit ton of mistakes, <laughs> but uh, yeah. uh, but eventually it, it did grow and this is the way to go. I mean, it's better to study from other people's mistakes, but if there's no other, if, if you don't have anybody else to learn from, you just need to do the mistakes on your own. That's life. That's what can we do. But, you know, the best way we could give back after hopefully we've made in our careers and our comfortable off is kind of try to teach other people the mistakes we've made so they have a bit of an easier path than us. Exactly. Totally. So, you know, one of the things you mentioned is that, you know, in the beginning on the topic is that you made a lot of mistakes, but eventually you were kind of able to sue those out and grow. How did you say you were able to scale kind of your e-commerce business with a lot of players being in the game? I think... but. By the way, this was like three or four years ago, and the game has again it completely changed. I don't think uh, dropshipping it wasn't it it was never easy, and even back in my days it wasn't easy. But today it's even harder. Um, I think what gave us the the edge was mostly the fact that I was experienced with media buying, mm-hmm. and as I said, I was I was spending one million dollars on a monthly basis on Facebook ads, and the, and I don't know about many dropshippers who, do, yeah. who did this, you know? So this probably was, was the main edge. And also being very calculated. I mean, I don't know how other people conducted their businesses, but I tried to do it in a very methodical and data-driven manner. And I think this was also one of the advantages and what allowed us to scale. Sure. So do you think really the work they did before working in media buying gave you a good idea of, you know, how best to optimize Facebook or kind of any social ad spend in order to target the kind of customers you're looking for. Yeah, this is one aspect. I mean, e-commerce has many aspects to the game, but one of the most important is in, like in any business is acquisition of customers. And if sure. you master customer acquisition in, in social or in Google, so you already have like 50%, 40 or 50% of, of the success. Obviously, there's a ton of trial and error, but uh, it's the most important thing to know how to acquire customers. And since I knew how to do so, it was a benefit. 
Okay, awesome. I forgot what you said earlier, but what was the store exactly again? Like, what was what you guys sell in the first e-commerce store? So back in the days, we had a general store, which I don't suggest people do this today. In general mm -hmm. store is just you have a ton of products and you just test as fast as possible, as many products as possible. And based on the metrics, you just compare the benchmarks. And as soon as you see one product that shows better CPAs, I mean, better conversion rate and more profitable, you just pour money, more money on ads in order to scale the product. So back in the days, we had a general store. Uh, we had like three winning, winning products. Um, all of them died, quote unquote, pretty fast because competitors started copying stuff like this. And then we we found another product which we were able to scale, and we also built some somewhat of a brand around it. And this was like a, sh a shaping brand, like Shapers. Um, like shaper meat, I don't know if you know them. You probably don't because you're. Is it like? Is it a shaper? Um, like, say, when you say shaper, I think of like you know making a shape out of a cookie or like something like that. Is it that or something else? No, yeah, you probably don't need shapers. Uh, it's like a waist cincher. Like uh, women put yeah. uh, like underneath their skirts or underneath uh, I got in order it. to so, pack everything. You know. No, no, I got it. No, it's okay. Look, this is this is a uh, consumer goods. We can we can talk about this stuff. But it's something, for example, if they want to like. It's almost like um, a corset. I don't know if the corset's the right word. Corset. But it's like a corset. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And I know you said that, you know, I know e-commerce is really competitive because, you know, as soon as one thing is good, the market gets saturated. But one of the things you mentioned is that you were able to find a lot of data around kind of what was selling really well at the time. So just curious, like, how are you able to go about finding that? Was it certain platforms you looked at or just, you know, you were able to look at specific products, you know, from an internal point of view? Kind of whether that's something you were able to self-analyze or something you looked at realistically is uh, where I'm getting at. Yeah. So so back in the days, we used many mechanisms in order to find out what would work. So we, we would use tools. We would look at competitors just sitting on their tails and seeing what they upload. We would uh, speak with our suppliers and ask them what are our other merchants, merchants are using. And this was like a very good source because let's say you have someone in China and he's serving a lot of dropshippers, every once, once in a while, I just ask her, listen, Jenny, what is working? What are other people doing? And she would, she would tell me because for her, it's more sales because she's the sourcing agent. So, so building a relationship was very beneficial from this perspective. But there are many, many mechanisms. One thing to keep in mind is even if a product is working for someone else, you still need to test it on your end. and there is no guarantee that it will work for you because what you see is only the tip of the iceberg. And there's a lot of stuff going underneath the water that you don't see with regards to their marketing and their operations, stuff like this. So even if you see something that seems like a shiny object, it, it necessarily, doesn't necessarily mean that you're, you'll be able to pull it off. Yep, definitely. The way what I just thought of in my head when you're saying that, and you'll probably think this is funny, but it's like, it's like the balagan behind the brand almost. Yeah, What's exactly. It's, 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 it, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, if, if people would have come to me now, back in the days, I didn't want to share what what I was selling, but now I realize even if if I gave someone the whole funnel, they would probably won't be able to like duplicate my results mm -hmm. because there were so many variables that went into this that even if you copy like the complete funnel and you see like the top performing ads, they still. There was a lot of stuff going on in the machine that it's very hard to replicate.
No, I get it. It's almost like if you see someone else doing a job and you think it's easy, you know, you let someone else be the other person for a day. And even though on the surface level, everything looks fine, you realize that there's like a million different variables and like it's it's hard to control everything. So I'm definitely, exactly. definitely familiar with what you're saying there. A question I actually just thought of, and you know, I wonder if you're, if you know about this, but have you ever heard of a print on demand like POD? Yeah, for sure. So I think, you know, I'm definitely not an e-commerce expert. You have much more experience than, than me in this area, but uh, I think from my knowledge, print on demand is a relatively new trend or it's been around for like five or six years, something like this. So would love to know your thoughts around that and how you think that may be kind of, or how that may grow in e-commerce or if it's not something that you think is a uh, very profitable in the long run. I'm also not an, not a print on demand expert. Um, mm -hmm. but what I would say, and it, this relates to what I said before, I believe that today from a technological standpoint, everything has become pretty easy. Totally. So building a store is easy. Starting to run ads is easy. Um, finding a supplier to do your print on demand is easy. So this is great. The barrier to entry is very low. Everybody can start, but this makes the competition fierce and the barrier to success is way, way higher. So it's cool that it seems to start selling print on demand. Yeah, it is easy, but how are you going to outcompete the competition? How are you going to convince the customers who saw a ton of ads related to print on demand products that your product is better? So actually, I believe that the game, as I said before, is even harder than it used to be. So, and this is also relates to print on demand. It's, as I said, it's easy to start, but it's probably harder to like really pull it off and become profitable. Mm -hmm. So I'm not against print on demand, but what I'm saying is that you have to find some way to differentiate yourself from competitors. Because if you took like the short route, the path of least resistance, it's very likely that someone else can copy you and do the same thing. And probably they will have like deeper pockets to spend and they will outcompete you. So you must have a unique angle of, of like a unique selling proposition or a unique niche that you're targeting that isn't being hunted by other big players. Got it. So it's something that's low barriers to entry, but the bad news is that means the market's just really saturated. And if you're going to succeed in that, you have to have some kind of edge regarding you know your product approach. Exactly. Okay. Awesome. So, uh, you know, back to some of the stuff that you were doing, you know, fortunately you're able to kind of travel and do a lot of this nomad stuff and we'll see TBD where your future takes you. But are there any other future projects that you're working on that you want to share? Um, yeah, so I, I, I just like learning and evolving. And fortunately, I feel that since, uh, since the ChatGPT was exposed to the world, stuff has been moving so fast. And it's very exciting because on one hand, it's hard to stay up to date, but on the other hand, new technologies are, are embarking and there's a lot of stuff to learn, which I specifically enjoy. And I've been building a lot of automations in the last two years in order to streamline different processes because I have this mentality of, like I said, I don't like having people above me, but I don't also like having people quote unquote below me. I just like being the lone wolf with my wife and doing our own thing. Mm -hmm. So luckily automation and code, they help us uh, in order to be more productive and streamline processes and kind of do our own thing without using too many resources or, 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 or hiring people. So this is mostly, mostly what excites me. How can I build stuff on my own uh, only with code? 
Got it. Interesting. Quick note on ChatGPT. Do you think, I thought you said just exposed to the world. So I know AI, especially probably among the Israeli startup circle, has probably been very heavily utilized for probably the last two or three decades. Um, but do you think with something like ChatGPT being out there, it's going to do more good or kind of more bad for the world? I know it's a tough question to answer, but curious to, to hear your <laughs> It's tough from, from many perspectives, and I'm not the one to make predictions on anything in life. No worries. But I, I'll, t- I'll tell you this. I, I, I've been following the Stoic philosophy for like 15 years now, and there is actually a, a shaping, uh, Shakespeare quote that I like. He said, nothing is good nor bad, but thinking makes it so. And I think this is the same answer for your question. Is AI good or bad? It depends how you look at it. And I choose to look at it from a a positive perspective. Yeah. Because everything is subjective in my opinion. So I would would prefer considering it as a great thing. Got it. I, I like that answer a lot. I think, you know, obviously there's big risk with like misinformation and just, you know, a lot of just the evolution of technology unfortunately makes a lot of this stuff possible. But I think if people look at it within good faith and use it in good faith, then I think it could really add a lot of value to society. So um, in alignment <laughs> with you on there, I think that's definitely a, a great answer. And awesome. um, the other thing I wanted to, to talk about, you know, we, I know we've mentioned it a few times, but is that you've been traveling the world a bit, whether you're able to travel after the army and are actually traveling right now. Um, is there anything that you've learned from kind of traveling the world that you think you wouldn't have just if you stayed in Israel? Yeah, a ton of things. Um... One of my earliest mentors, I'm not even sure if I should consider him a mentor, but one of the people I respect, and uh, when I was younger, after the army, he told us, uh, he told me and my wife that travel expands the mind. And this was like a quote that stood out and like was engraved in our minds. And I really believe it's true. And I think that the biggest benefit of traveling besides like experiencing new cultures and meeting awesome people is the fact that you can reinvent yourself and you can go to a new place and decide I'm X, I'm not Y anymore. And I want to hang out with people who will like X and they don't like Y. And I think this is a great benefit because when I go back to Israel, I, I mean, I love my childhood friends, but some of them, I wouldn't choose them today as my friends. Mm-hmm. But we have so much, so much, so many experiences that ties us down. It's, they are more like brothers to me. But it's not as if I enjoy, I do enjoy them, but it's not as if they elevate me. And mm-hmm. like new friends that I'm meeting here in the park and, we, and I select them based on my current interest and based on my current personality. So, and I really believe that you're the sum of the five people you hang out the most with. And I think if you stay in your hometown or you stay in with like people you grew up with, it kind of hinders your involvement because you evolve with in the same pace that they evolve, but you're all the sum of the five people that you are with. So you kind of, you might be stagnant. So this is why I think traveling is so important because you can meet new people that will elevate you and you can progress. Got it. So to expand your mind and really learn more about yourself and learn more about culture so you can just be a better rounded or a more well-rounded individual. So probably I didn't clarify myself. I don't think this is the main benefit. I think the main benefit is the fact that you can reinvent yourself and meet new people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Got it. Okay. That makes sense. I think, you know, I definitely agree with you there. And I think meeting people and like understanding better cultures really gives you a better idea of kind of who you want to be. So, you know, Mm -hmm. no pun, well, yes, pun intended, but you're able to reinvent yourself in a way that kind of makes you happier and just, you know, more, more fulfilled. So definitely familiar with what you're saying there. Uh, You know, a new segment that I recently started on my show, uh, I like to call it the Fast Five. And I hope the Fast and Furious franchise doesn't come after me (laughs) for copyright (laughs) one day. Um, but five personal questions I want to ask that I think you'll find really fun to answer. Uh, the first of which, if you could give advice to your younger self, you know, your 10 year old self, for example, what would it be and why? Great question. Um, it's, it's a question I like to ask cause you know, it's so, so much time has probably passed since then. You're like, wow, what was I even like at 10 years old and how would I rationalize like yeah. <laughs> I, I I think I will I did fine I'm happy where I am uh, and I'm happy how I was at 10 but I think I mean the most important thing in life in my opinion is from if you want to progress is tracking so if I spoke with my with myself like when I was 10 years old I would say track your progress you I wanted back in the day to become a better soccer player so Track how many times you go to the soccer field. Track how many times you uh, did a, a sprinting session. Because once you track, you have all the data and you can make sure that you're progressing. Got it. So to be able to track yourself, kind of document improvement, and then over time, as long as you're holding yourself accountable, you'll you'll get better in whatever you're trying to do. Exactly. Okay. Yes. Awesome. Next question of the Fast Five. Uh, you know, it seems like you're a really well-rounded individual and have been able to reinvent yourself through traveling. Uh, but a lot of things, something that a lot of people do is also kind of read books to help them, you know, pun intended, reinvent themselves. So is there any favorite books that you've read in the past or anything you'd recommend for people? Yeah, for sure. I I, I read a lot. Um, but these days, I more often I read the same books that has have stood out in my opinion. So I don't read any new books anymore. Mm-hmm. Mostly just try to repeat the books that I liked. And I have this uh, quote by Bruce Lee that comes to mind that he says, I don't fear the man who practiced a thousand kicks one time. I fear the man who practiced one kick a thousand times. So I believe with this regards, I am I'm hoping the, the analogy makes sense that yep. it's better to take a, a few good books and really understand them and like operate based on the fundamentals instead of writing, like reading a, a ton of new books and being very broad. So when it comes to your specific question, so I have like five books that I believe are like my top five. If you want, I'm happy to elaborate about them. Yeah, sure. If you want to elaborate, just or just mention them or kind of give a brief reason as to why you like them. Awesome. Yeah. So I think the three most important ones are like the Stoic philosophers, Marcus Aure- Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, uh, the Shortness of Life by Seneca, and uh, the hand, the Manual by uh, Epictetus, um, and then Nassim Taleb, Anti-Fragile, and the fifth book is actually I, I have it here right beside me is the Almanac of Naval Ravikant. Uh, yeah, it's 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 gold basically. Got it. Awesome. Appreciate you mentioning those, and people should definitely check those out if you want to kind of see what's been going on in your own set. But great answer there. <laughs> Um, is there anything else on your bucket list that you haven't done so far that you want to achieve in life? Mm, not really. I mean, obviously, as I grow older, I realize 
I mean, I change all the time. So like if you would have asked me three years ago, uh, I, I wouldn't tell you I want to be a father. I want to be a parent. But now I have my daughter, Alona, and she's the best thing that ever happened to me, although I resisted it for so many years. So I don't really know where life will take me. And I've accomplished a lot of things that I wanted to accomplish on a personal level. But I always set uh, new goals. Um, and while I strive to my own goals, I try also to be content with who I am and where I am. So it's a kind of a fine-tuning all the time between the fact that you want to achieve more and on the other hand, not feel a lack of anything because there is this, this quote that desire is a contract that will, you make with yourself to be miserable until you achieve your goals. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to have any desires, but mostly positive aspirations. Got it. I think that's awesome. So even if there's nothing more specific, you want to just aspire to be positive and then whatever comes along the way is whatever comes along the way. Yeah, and I mean, I do have plans, but nothing that I'm, re I'm really eager to achieve because I just want to enjoy the moment and keep on moving forward in my, my the vector that I've been, the vector I've been on for so for 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 the last five years. Got it. So if you just one day walk down the street and Mount Everest happens to be like up the street, you'll think about you'll think about climbing it, but it's not something you'll you'll plan to do, basically. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> something like this. Okay. Awesome. If you could have dinner with anyone, dead or alive, you know, who would it be and why? Wow. It's a great question. Hmm. Maybe Tim Ferris, probably. Wow, interesting. Is there any reason why or just Yeah, because I mean there are many people that I look up to. Um, some of them are dead, some of them are like a bit older, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, for example. And I think Tim Ferris and I are more or less in the same age, and I really like his his way of breaking things down. So I think that if we meet for one dinner, the conversation can also be very practical and also fun. So yeah, probably Tim Ferris. Yeah, awesome. It's I think great rationalization. Uh, if there was ever a movie about your life story, who do you think, or what actor do you think I would play you, or what actor would you want to play you, for example? <laughs> wow, this is a good one. Uh, wow. Yeah, why not Arnold, you know? Bring Arnold to be instead of me. <laughs> Arnold Israeli. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That'd be funny. Okay, awesome. I think it's a, it's a cool answer. But, you know, last two questions I always ask, and kind of a same across. You know, you mentioned a lot of things, kind of your background, what you've been up to in e-commerce, then some fun questions we had to get to know you a little better. But if there was one thing that you said brought you the most happiness in life, what would it be? Come again? I'm not sure that I, I oh, heard my the bad. question. Sorry. No, no worries. Mm -hmm. uh, if there's one thing in your life, basically I said, you know, you have a lot of, uh, you mentioned a lot of really cool things and, you know, some of the stuff you've mm -hmm. been up to traveling and e-commerce, then some personal stuff at the end. But if there's one thing that really brought you life happiness, what would it be? Uh, except for my daughter, which is the best thing by far. Um, I had like two years ago, I competed in a bodybuilding competition. Oh, wow. uh, and six months prior to the show were like the best months of my recent years because I was so obsessed and I had this specific goal in mind. It was, I, I was like on cloud number nine for six months, even though I was crushed from like the diet. I enjoyed I enjoyed every moment. So I think this this would probably be one of my best moments, like these six months. 
Got it. Okay, awesome. That's why you want Arnold Schwarzenegger to play you because he's a he's natural. Exactly. <laughs> that <laughs> he's not natural, but uh... <laughs> oh yeah, he's not natural, but he was about to... yeah. yeah. Forgot about that. Yeah, but he's uh, <laughs> it's just if he could, if someone of that build could play your whole life movie, it's like it makes everything look great. But uh, awesome to hear that, and I think it's a it's a great actor choice or kind of a great um, you know, moment of happiness choice. But uh, is there anything else you want to share? Whether it's life advice, relationship advice, business advice, you know, been a great guest. final word is yours uh, thank you so much daniel um yeah so i think i i mentioned it before if you want to progress i believe in my opinion what has worked well for me and i'm not saying that i'm where i wa- i wanted to be and i still have a lot of stuff to achieve um but i believe that the combination of tracking tracking what matters like if you want to if you want to lose weight weigh yourself every day If you want to squat 200 kilos, write in a notebook how many you squatted every day. If you want to achieve more success in business, write every day in a Google spreadsheet how much money you did yesterday. So tracking religiously and also have someone external hold you accountable. So having someone, not your friend and not your partner, asking you, hey, what's up with the results? You said you're going to weigh yourself every day. but you didn't send me any weighing. You said you're going to make more money, but you didn't do any reach out. So tracking combined with someone to hold you accountable, I think, in my opinion, these are the keys to progress. Tracking and accountability, I think those are great keys to progress. And Ron, thanks so much for taking the time to go on the show, my man. It was my pleasure. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you for listening to my conversation with your own Ben. If you enjoyed the episode, rate the show on Spotify. Drop a comment on YouTube and subscribe.